Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Priest of Copper Beach Financial Group. If you're joining us on this podcast, this is actually a part two. So you definitely want to go back and listen to part one. The gentleman outlined kind of some of the, the problems that families can face with the SECURE Act and the things that are within the SECURE Act, things that have been enacted. And they did a great job of outlining a few different pitfalls that could possibly trip families up. And this podcast is about the solutions and the strategies for these these issues that they brought up on the first podcast. So please go back and listen to that one. Michael, I know that you're going to be starting this off today. You're bringing some solutions to the table. We like this. Yeah, solutions are always good. It's not, it's uh, never good to point out a problem and, with, <laughs> and, just, and just complain about the problem. Hopefully we can shed some light on maybe some solutions to, to sort of avoid some of these exposures that, again, if you listen to our first podcast on this, uh, this topic, we just seem to see in, the, in our work with our families that there hasn't been enough attention that they've placed on this particular issue with the SECURE Act. And again, yeah, if you haven't listened to the first episode, you should go back and listen to it. Uh, but if you haven't, you want to just keep going with us here. The main issue that we're going to touch on today is really the new law, law that was put in place with the SECURE Act, a new provision of the SECURE Act that now requires children that inherit a IRA or a qualified plan to essentially withdraw all those funds no later than 10 years after the date of death. Mm -hmm. As we touched on the prior podcast, some of the exposures or or things that, why this may not be a good thing tax-wise and asset protection-wise for those children. So again, that's that's the backdrop we're working with here when we go into this part two. All right, sounds great. So let's let's maybe let's maybe start off with again I maybe I'll reiterate what I said last podcast which is a lot of what we're going to talk about is really how to maximize generational wealth to the kids using these assets and I think it's important to look at your own personal planning and really do a deep dive cash flow analysis on what you're going to need during your retirement years. So again, we we use the term lifestyle assets. A lot of what we're going to talk about today is mostly for people that are not going to really need to live off of their IRAs. So this, you have to figure that out first. There might be ways in which you can use part of your qualified plan or IRAs for some of the strategies that we're talking about, but you may still need the rest of it for your lifestyle. We always say we want to make sure that you're comfortable first, and then in the event that you're comfortable and everything's good with your planning, now we start looking at gifting for the kids and then when they're okay to the community and some other things like that. So uh, again, look at your own planning first. That's the most important thing before we we jump into maybe some of these strategies, work with your advisors and and really figure out what you're going to need during retirement. And if you think it's going to be more of a legacy asset that your children are going to inherit, that's those assets that we're going to really focus on today. Yeah, I'll jump in on just just some common sense things. Is it? I look at it this way: you work your whole life building assets up for your retirement. That's a goal we all have. When you look at being successful at that, if you don't plan around that success, you you end up hurting your children. 
So, so there's a solution to prevent that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So this is, again, this is really not taking anything away from mom and dad. It's really the excess dollars that, okay, I don't need these dollars, Michael and John. How can I avoid this problem? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I remember many of our families, they are successful business owners. They may have sold a company or they may have been successful in other in investment endeavors. And the qualified plans that they now have uh, are maybe something they're not going to need to live on during their retirement years. And then again, that then becomes, from our planning perspective, more of a legacy asset that could benefit the kids. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So before we jump into maybe some solutions, let's look at probably what most people that we see sort of their their plan is or lack a lack thereof of a plan as it relates to their IRAs when they're in the position that they aren't going to need to use their IRAs to live on during retirement years. So remember, this is now a legacy asset. So typically what we see in this in this sort of for this client is their plan is really, well, I'm just going to continue to accumulate assets inside of my IRA or my retirement plan. And when I reach now age 72, I'll have to start taking my required minimum distributions from that plan because that's what the law says, that, that that's the latest or the longest that I can defer growing these assets in this IRA before I have to take it out. Now, by the way, there is a provision uh, or, or a proposed piece of legislation that they're terming the SECURE Act 2.0 that will actually push out the RMD date to 75, not 72. That hasn't been passed yet. I'm not sure if it's going to be passed, but you know maybe that'll give you an extra three years where you have to, uh, that you could wait before you have to start taking out these funds. But under, under today, you wait till you're 72 and you start taking your RMDs. And again, if you're not needing the RMDs to live on, the, the question we always ask families is, okay, well, what is your plan around, what, what do you do with those RMDs? And most of the time we get the answer of, I'm really, well, I'm just putting it in my checking account or I have another investment account someplace that I'm just going to put them in there because I don't, I don't need to you know, really spend those assets. Now, again, those, those withdrawals or those required minimum distributions are taxable. They tax at ordinary income tax rates, so that's less efficient than, let's say, a capital gain rate. Although, as you pointed out, that the capital gain rates are there's proposals that those capital gain rates are going to go or be increased depending on your income level. So, uh, factor that in as well. But again, you're going to continue to take these RMDs every year, and you're going to continue to accumulate them in this other investment account. And then, let's say you pass away eventually. Under the SECURE Act, as we mentioned, that that now starts that 10-year time frame, assuming you're not going to leave that to a spouse. So again, spouses, you can still leave an IRA or qualified plan to a spouse. They can, they can take that plan as their own and continue taking RMDs based on their age. But if you're leaving it to a child, that starts that 10-year clock ticking. And again, at the end of 10 years, that's where there's going to be a triggering of that tax. Now, again, if you have a estate tax exposure, we talked about that the last podcast, which not everybody does, but if you do, if you have an estate tax exposure, your IRAs are going to be a part of your gross estate. We talked about them being taxed at about 70, 75% when you factor in the estate tax and this big income tax that has to be paid in 10 years. But remember that estate tax has to be paid nine months after your date of death. So you have to factor that in. So that's got to be added. So if you look at your IRA asset, 
factor in 40% lost value from the estate tax, and then factor in another 10 years, you're going to get hit again, or your children are going to get hit again based on this income tax, um, because that's now what the SECURE Act says. So when we talk with families, this is really what they're set up to do. When you look at that structure, that that's a, a very, very big tax exposure that's going to be hitting these IRA accounts. And you look at, again, wealth transfers to generations, it, it's it's not as much as many families are anticipating. So that's really where, where again, keep that in mind as a baseline for where we're going to start with. Now, one strategy that's not new, but it's one that I think is, for us personally in Copper Beach, a shift um, for us is doing a Roth conversion. That's been around for a very long time. I think it's taken on different meanings now because of the SECURE Act passing, because when you do this Roth conversion, you're you're going to pay tax at the time of conversion. But once it's converted into that Roth IRA, now there's no more required minimum distributions and there's no 10-year big tax hit after you pass away. So that's one strategy that you can look at. But Dad, maybe you want to bring up what you mentioned last podcast, some of the downsides of inheriting a Roth IRA from an asset protection standpoint. I think it's important to bring up again. Yeah, the Roth has the same rules like an IRA, our, our IRA would under the SECURE Act. It has to be paid out in 10 years, although a Roth is not taxable to anyone. But when the children inherit that, that, that asset after that 10-year period, they've got to do something with it. They got to invest it in a taxable account. Because, it, I mean, it's just it's just a challenge. What do I do with it? So it, it's not good for transferring generationally as an asset because now it's out to your kids, not in trust, and they can do whatever they want with it. So if your goal is to move wealth generationally, that's not a very good asset to do that with. Yeah, and, and, and again, your Roth IRA is also a part of your estate as well. So we talked about that on our last podcast that a challenge from an estate planning standpoint is these accounts have to be owned in, by an individual. So they are a part of your estate. You can't really transfer them to a trust and do some other transfers that we've talked about on some other podcasts. So that can complicate things a little bit more. So some people are taking this Roth conversion a step further and look at, okay, well, if I, again, I don't need these assets to live on. Maybe I can do a Roth conversion, but I can completely liquidate my Roth and transfer it out of my estate and use that increased lifetime gift and estate exemption that we have at the federal level today to minimize the estate tax ramifications of that of that asset, if that makes sense. So that's another, I guess, part part B to the strategy of using a Roth conversion. So, so the bottom line is you paid the income tax on the strategy, but you save 40% on the estate tax, which is a big tax savings. Right. You're getting that growth out of your, that future growth of that Roth IRA out of your estate as well. And that's, and that has a benefit again, if you're out there and you have an estate exposure, estate tax exposure, or you're thinking you might in the future, that's a, that's a good component to look at. Now, again, once you take it out of the IRA format, don't forget you, now you don't get that accumulation protection from a tax standpoint. So now any of your gains, once you take it out of this IRA format, are going to be taxed. So that's really where the investment plan gets tied back into the estate plan is, okay, well, how do I invest these assets that I've taken out of my IRA structure and, and, and minimize the tax exposure on those investments? So that's where we start looking at 
things like tax managed structures. There are certain managers that are very good at managing the income tax exposure. There are certain real estate programs that are out there that that can benefit um, from an income tax standpoint. Life insurance, we've talked about that on some earlier podcasts, very tax efficient asset. Annuities, also very tax efficient. So these types of vehicles might become a part of the conversation if you decide to take assets out of that IRA IRA structure, because now you have to be worried about taxes. Remember, we say it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Yeah, exactly. So that gifting now, remember we talk about planning. If you decided to, to, to liquidate your IRA and pay tax, now you can gift that asset to Michael's point out of your estate in a trust for the benefit of the next two, three generations, if you so choose, depending on how you you, know, you, uh, you set your trust up. Yeah, and, and I said before when we started this that this is almost a, a shift for us at Copper Beach because we would very often, it, it never, from our standpoint, made sense, again, depending on the client and their and their personal planning, it never made sense, or a lot of times it didn't make sense to do this Roth conversion because you do pay that tax. That's a big tax hit that, that you have to pay up front, and it would take a long time to be able to recoup that those lost earnings. So again, depending on the client's age, depending on what their lifestyle needs were, it may or may not have made sense. I think it makes more sense to look at that now just because we don't have that stretch IRA that we used to. Because now we could say, okay, well, at least if anything else, we can stretch that IRA to your kids and they can, they can maximize the tax benefits of that structure. That's, of course, as we're talking about, now gone. So that's, that's shifted our, our thinking a little bit and on that. Uh, other structure I wanted to talk about is actually one or strategy is one that we've covered on a prior podcast, and it involves using life insurance inside of a 401k plan. And it was, we had a guest, Mary Reed, I think that was episode 17, 17 or 19. It was a while ago. A little while ago, but it's still a viable uh, strategy. And actually she touched on the SECURE Act because I believe when we had her in, that was right after the SECURE Act was passed. And again, her main focus was, again, generational thinking. She works with a lot of families that are, are the types of families we're talking about here. They, they have accumulated large qualified plan balances. They might not need those assets to live off of and again they're more of a generational asset legacy asset and her strategy is to form a 401k plan and to buy life insurance inside of the 401k plan and what that will do is when you take that life insurance policy out of the plan and her her structure was five years there's some other providers out there that have similar um, structures but what that will do is will because of the way that the irs values a life insurance policy, it actually is less than it otherwise would likely be if you didn't purchase the life insurance in the plan. So what that has the effect of doing is if you decide to do a Roth conversion or if you decide to roll out of these qualified plans, you now get a little bit of a tax benefit when you roll it out of the plan versus if you just didn't use the life insurance. It's about 20 or 30% actually. It's not little. It's a pretty big, yeah, no, it's a pretty right. big dollar amount. So, so that's another strategy that we're seeing some families consider. And again, if you, we have a whole podcast on it, Mary Reed's way more eloquent at describing it than I am because she's the expert. But go back and listen to it again. I believe it's it's episode seventeen or seventeen or nineteen around that that time. Yeah, and I'll ha highlight some of the benefits because I think it's important. The strategy for us from a generational standpoint is protecting the next two generations. 
So let's assume you decide to do this program. After the fifth year, you're all the life insurance out of the policy. You pay you, you pay the tax, and you get a, you get a tax leverage again with the insurance valuation. Now you have this asset sitting there. What do you do with it? Well, you take that insurance policy, and you could have insurance on your kids. Yeah. So when it's owned in the 401k plan, you're not the insured. You can insure your three kids inside your 401k plan. So you're insuring a lesser life, a younger life. So the cost of insurance is a lot less. But think of the design this way. When it rolls out of the plan, your kids are still the insured. If you need the money, you still have access to it. Because now it's out of the 401k plan. You own the insurance contract. If you need it, you can have access to it. But let's assume you don't need it. You could take that insurance contract, p- put it in a trust, and again, some, some ramifications of that from a, from a legal standpoint, but you can do it. You put it in a trust, and now it grows in this. So the assets grow in these policies tax-free for the benefit of the kids. Let's do some, some, some planning. We have a case we worked on a couple years ago where they were teenagers. They were the insureds. Mom and dad took a million dollars out of their 401k plan. There's three siblings did this in one of our families. Put a million dollars in these in these structures. If you look at the math, I think when the kids retire, remember they're teenagers, it was a long-term strategy. When the kids retire, they're able to take about $200,000 a year out, 180 to 200,000 depending on the age, out of that life insurance contract for, for, forever. These are, they're designed this way, tax-free. So you guys could set up a retirement plan for your children using this concept inside a trust, all tax-free. So when you when you look at the dynamics of that, you took an asset the kids were going to pay a lot of tax on, leveraged it using the insurance structure, compounded over 20, 30 years, and have an asset for the, for, for the kids. Now, your kids might say, you know, I really don't need it. I, I have enough money. I can now have this death benefit with this insurance or have my kids have access to take the cash value at, again, the grandkids. So you look at these generational structures, they're fascinating. When you look at the math, it's dynamic. It's a lot better than leaving it in an IRA account. But that's really where the analysis has to be done. I know I gave you a lot, but that's how dynamic and excited I get about maximizing these structures to add value to the generations where you don't give it to the tax man in Washington. Yeah, I mean, that's that strategy you just mentioned that underlies a lot of what we're talking about today. If, if it's going to be a legacy asset, again, an asset you're not going to need, let's look at, as a planning, how do you maximize that for future generations? So that's what we're talking about here, and that's one strategy that you can use. So again, I would go back and listen to that episode with, with Mary Reed. It's a really good episode. She did a great job explaining this strategy, but say it's a, a very good alternative for those that are maybe looking to do something different with their qualified plans. Yeah, I think the final numbers, I was I, I, I forgot to close with it. I think that the death benefit that purchased on all three of the kids in, the, in this particular design was about $5 million with the death benefit. So you took an asset that was worth a million, as an example, minus the tax, put it in these structures and created a $15 million asset from a death benefit standpoint. Or or a hundred and plus thousand dollars a year cash flow at a lifetime of a child. It's millions to the family versus keeping a million and being taxed at the highest rate possible when you leave it to the kids. So it's an interesting strategy, and you have to do the math. and And again, listen to that podcast. It's it's a strategy that that we're getting a lot of people pretty excited about. Yeah, the the next strategy I wanted to talk about is again sort of piggybacking on a 
a prior podcast that we had, and that was a podcast we had on charitable lead annuity trusts. We we had a podcast with uh, Derek Myron from Centura Wealth Advisory, and he's one of our specialists in in designing these types of charitable lead annuity trusts. So that's another episode that I would certainly go back and listen to. But how it plays into what we're talking about today, I think, is as an option. And I would say this is probably more if you're philanthropically motivated, which a lot of our families are, and you might be. And again, if you think about the overall makeup of your assets, maybe these assets really aren't needed by you, or they're maybe they're not needed by your children because there's other assets elsewhere. Maybe you want to look at it from a philanthropic standpoint as well. This has a, this pairing up a an IR distribution from your IRA with this charitable lead annuity trust is a is an interesting strategy that we're looking at with a lot of our families. And again, if you remember how that trust works, that's where it's called a split interest charitable trust. So you can contribute an asset to that trust and for a period of years or for your lifetime, depending on on how you design it, there will be distributions that go out of that trust to a charitable vehicle of your choice. Could be a public charity, could be a donor advised fund that you set up or a family foundation. But during that term, the assets will go to that charitable beneficiary. At the end of that term, whatever is remaining in that trust can go back to you as the grantor or it could go to a trust for future generations out of your estate. Now is a very good time to look at these structures because interest rates are very low. Uh, without getting into the weeds, when interest rates are low, this strategy is, is much more beneficial. So now it's a good time to look at that. But why we're bringing it up in the IRA context is if you decide, okay, I want to minimize the amount of IRA assets that I have because I want to minimize the overall tax burden on that. Well, if I do a Roth conversion or if I take assets out of that IRA, as we mentioned, that's going to trigger a tax depending on your tax bracket and the amount that you take out of that. Well, again, if you don't need those assets, maybe you can turn around and transfer those assets to a char this charitable lead trust. One of the benefits I, I didn't mention about this trust, if it's structured properly, you actually can get an income tax deduction for contributions that you make to that charitable trust. So it helps offset the income tax burden that you're going to have if you take it out of the plan. So that's another strategy. And you have to do the math on that, and, and you have to that, that's very complicated, as you can imagine. You really want to dig in with your advisors on looking at you know, how the trust is designed. You want to certainly work with somebody uh, like Derek at Centura that knows how to put these trusts together because they, they can be designed a lot of ways. Uh, and then, of course, look at your own tax exposure. So that's a, a much more involved strategy, but can have a really powerful benefit to the family and to the community if you structure it properly. Yeah, to Michael's point, the, the interest rate conversations is a fascinating one. How the trust works based on the deduction standpoint is that the government says, we'll give you this deduction on the contribution to the trust. Let's use a million dollars as an example. If you donate a million dollars to this trust this year, 2021, again, based on your some factors, you could you can use 100%, you can take a 100% tax deduction against your income. So, if, so do the math. If you liquidate a million dollar IRA and you're in a 40% bracket, you, that's $400,000. If you donated that to the, to the charitable trust, you can get a deduction and save taxes against that transfer. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the interest rate is interesting. And Michael said it earlier. It's, it's very low right now. So the government says that for, you, for us to give you that 100% deduction, you have to earn, in today's, I think, this month, you have to earn 80 basis points on your investments in the trust. That's less than 1%. The spread or the difference between what you earn and that interest rate, your family keeps. So think about a 20-year trust. If I put a million dollars in this trust, I got this wonderful income tax deduction. It grew in this trust the investments over 20 years. If you do the math, you can compound a tremendous amount of wealth in this trust. And the only obligation you have when the trust ends, and it's your choice when it ends, or a period you decided upon, and again, I don't want to get into the weeds, but when the trust ends, the only obligation you have is pay the charity that million dollars. But the rest of the difference of you earning that trust, you could transfer to a family trust tax rate. So it's an interesting planning technique. Again, leveraging your IRA that's heavily taxed to the kids, using the tax code or and charitable structures. Again, you helping charity, and you're you're you're, you're taking really money away, away from the government, giving to the charity, which is not a bad thing. It's it works for me. So that's what this is all about. But it's a way to again transfer wealth generationally using that IRA asset. Yeah, the big uh, you're starting to. But some of these solutions we've talked about, the biggest challenge that we're seeing from some of our families is, man, that tax buy, I really, it almost flies in the face of a lot of the tax planning that we're all accustomed to doing, which is trying to defer paying tax as long as we can. A lot of these strategies are, let's pay tax now, because if you lose the math, paying tax now is actually less tax than you pay than, than if you don't pay it now and you leave, again, the assets in your IRA to be inherited by your children. So that's it is somewhat counterintuitive, but this charitable lead trust could be a way to help offset that a little bit. And and Mary Reed's uh, distribution solution with uh, buying the life insurance in the four hundred one k is another one as well. That all helps sort of lower that burden a little bit if that that bite is a little too too big there. Yeah, again to help you one more time, you could go to those podcasts we've done a, a few months ago and listen to exactly how these programs work, so you get a a real good insight. And again, if you need any additional information, we most certainly can help you out with that as well. Yeah. The last strategy that I wanted to talk about is one that I've read a good amount about, and it actually is using the reverse of a charitable lead trust, and that's that's called a charitable remainder trust. And so again, a charitable lead trust is a structure that you put an asset into that trust and the over the term the assets will go out to charity with the remainder coming back to the family in some capacity. The charitable remainder trust is the opposite. Assets go into that trust and the family retains a benefit from those assets for that term with the remainder going to the charity. And how a lot of commentators are describing the strategy is actually naming a charitable remainder trust that you set up as the beneficiary of your IRA. Now, how this works is you would name the charitable remainder trust as the beneficiary of your IRA, not, not your ch children, but your children can be the income beneficiaries of the charitable remainder trust. So if you follow how the, the commentators are thinking, you're giving the asset to the trust. By the way, that's an that's a income tax-free transfer to the charitable trust. It's also depending on where interest rates are, could have some estate and gift benefits as well. 
But once it gets to that charitable trust, you can name your children as the beneficiaries of that charitable trust to receive an income stream for their lifetime from that trust. And then upon their passing or upon the end of that term, whatever's remaining in that trust goes to a charitable vehicle. Again, a donor advised fund, a family foundation, however that, that charitable vehicle is set up. So it's the reverse of a charitable lead trust. Now, the reason why a lot of commentators are using the strategy or recommending the strategy is because in a way it, it mimics the stretch IRA, if you think about it. Remember, the stretch IRA under the old rules were the goal was the children were going to take a very small percentage of the IRA out every year over their lifetime. And so commentators are saying, well, if we make the children the beneficiaries of this charity remainder trust, they're really doing the same thing. They're just getting an income stream from, not from an IRA account, but from a charitable remainder trust. So some commentators are looking at this as an alternative to that stretch IRA to try to recreate it. Now, I, I will say from my initial analysis, I, I think there are some drawbacks to that strategy. If your goal is to maximize the amount of assets that go to children, I would say if you're very philanthropically inclined, this is a great strategy. If your goal is to maximize the amount of assets that go to your children, it might not be the best strategy compared to some of the other ones that we've just talked about. So it is an option, but I think it has to be applied in a very, only for very specific clients that maybe have that philanthropic motivation. And the reason why that's the case, by the way, is because of where interest rates are. So as we just talked about with the charitable lead trust, that strategy works very well in a low interest rate environment. But the opposite is the case for a charitable remainder trust. They're sort of mirror images of one another. In a low interest rate environment, a charitable remainder trust is more beneficial to the charity than it is to the family in terms of the assets that are projected um, to go out to either party. So again, it really, you know, you have to do it in the right at the right timing. And obviously we don't know where interest rates are gonna be in the year that you pass away if you put that strategy in place which is why it might make more sense to do the charitable lead strategy. Because if you do that today, we know exactly what interest rates are today and you can plan for it a little bit better. The charitable remainder stru uh, trust structure is really going to be whatever's in effect at the time of your passing, which is an unknown at this point. So that, that is a kind of a, a, a very surface level examination on a few different strategies. That charitable remainder trust one is again, one that we haven't had a lot of conversations with our families on, but I know that it's been written about fairly extensively. If you go onto Google and look at Forbes and Kiplinger and some of these other publications, that is one that that's been discussed as an alternative to help combat the secure act uh, that's been passed. I just happen to think that if you do the math on it, it, it tends to be more beneficial to charities than to your family, although that might be might be a perfectly acceptable planning goal for you. And by the way, back to the lead trust, although today's conversation is around an IRA distribution, the lead trusts are really popular with high wage earners that make uh, a lot of money from an income standpoint. Lead trusts have been around for a long time and they're very popular because it's a way to use the deduction to the charitable structure. And by the way, you could spread that deduction over over five years, six years, exactly. six years. So if you can't use it all the first year, you can use it through the sixth year. So you don't lose the deduction. So if you put a million dollars 
uh, of your income in this trust. You can use uh, the $400,000 deduction you can use um, over that six-year period of time if you can't use it the first two years or three or four years. So it's a real interesting technique for high wage earners. I just wanted to throw that in because we've had a th- two or three families do that last year as a strategy because they were they were paying too much in taxes and they, they were very philanthropic. They want to kind of combine the two thoughts and, and, and help their family as well. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point because a lot of the strategies that we're talking about today are, are probably more geared towards maybe somebody that's at the end of their earnings years that they've already accumulated a lot of assets in their uh, IRAs, but we have had conversations with families that are still in their core earning years and they, they're actually being very proactive. They see what's been put in place with the SECURE Act and they're sort of saying, okay, well, maybe it's not the best idea for me and my family and my plan to be accumulating assets in these plans, but what other alternative do I have? Because if I don't contribute to those plans, I'm going to miss out on that, maybe that income tax deduction that I would get by contributing to it. This charitable lead trust is something that if you're working today and you're a higher earner or high wage earner can be, depending on how it's designed, a, a decent alternative to maybe what you're doing um, with contributing to these plans. So that's a good point, Deb. Guys, this has been fantastic. There, you've presented so much strategy. I mean, it all goes back to the planning, 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 right? Yeah, but absolutely. You, man, I mean, you guys just, it was, you came through, right? I mean, the first podcast was about, hey, here's some issues. And you just nailed it with all these possible solutions. And I know there's more that you could talk about. We're just really low on time. Any closing thoughts for today's podcast? Well, I, I mean, I would say, again, start if you're, if you're out there listening and you think that the SECURE Act might be affecting your uh, overall financial plan, estate plan, just start talking with your advisors about it. Uh, start doing some modeling. Start doing some cash flow modeling because, I, again, I think a lot of families that we've been talking to Unfortunately, we've been the ones that are really bringing up this topic to them. They haven't really been paying as much attention to it. And I think it's it's going to, I don't want to call it a ticking time bomb, but I think there's going to be, unfortunately, a lot of families that haven't done planning in this area, and they're going to be very surprised by what happens You know, if a child is inheriting the, these qualified plans. So do planning. Start yeah. now. Absolutely. And if you're listening to this, yeah, never too late. If you're listening to this right now and you're in one of these next two categories, we're going to give you some contact information. Number one, if you... Uh, have an advisor and you bring up this subject and you get the deer in the headlights look, we need to be calling Copper Beach. Secondly, if you don't have an advisor, you need to call Copper Beach. Guys, how do they get a hold of you? You always reach us on our on the phone, 856-988-8300. Or you can uh, reach us at our website. It's www.cbfgllc.com. Fantastic. Guys, again, thank you so much for your time today. And our last thank you always goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 
The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.